You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. This morning we are reading from Daniel, our scriptures in Daniel, chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill at the end of the time and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them, and among all of them, None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Good morning. Last week, I started our series in Daniel. And um, when I st- so when I started it, I introduced Daniel. So we didn't really get into chapter 1. I just set up Daniel. Today, we're getting into chapter 1. If you missed last week's message, uh, you, can, you can listen to it on our webpage. You can subscribe to our podcast where you will get an update uh, every time there's a new sermon up on our webpage. Or you can read the manuscript. I, I manuscript all my sermons. There's more content in my manuscript than there is in what I say most of the time. Um, so so you, can, you can find that on our webpage as well. But today we're going to get into Daniel chapter 1. And, and as we do that, I, I want to state two very important truths that I think will help you understand not only the, the world that Daniel fell and his three friends found themselves in, but our world as well. And the first is this. The Bible claims from the very beginning that we as human beings bear the image of the living God. We bear the image of God. We are, we, we are, we are unique in that way. It also states from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 that there is an enemy who absolutely abhors the fact that you bear the image of the living God. I I, I think that will help you make sense of Daniel and and helps you make sense, at least helps me make sense of the world around me. Uh, Because you bear the image of God, you are 
not a member of the animal kingdom. That's the other thing I want you to hear. You, despite what the world says, you are not a member of the animal, animal kingdom. You are above the animal kingdom. You bear the image of the living God. Your cat doesn't bear the image of the living God. Your dog doesn't bear the image of God. You, despite how you feel about your dog, you as a human being bear the image of the living God. And that sets you apart and over the animal kingdom. And we have been given a mission as human beings to do two things. One, fill the earth. If you read Genesis chapter 1 through, through 2, uh, fill the earth with people who worship God. And then the second mission is to care for God's creation. Like that's actually a thing. That's a mandate. That we're to care as human beings, created in his image, to care for his creation. And, uh, and so those are, those are two important things that we need to keep in mind. Uh, we're introduced to this enemy in Genesis chapter 3. I'm just, I think this makes sense of, Gen, uh, of Daniel chapter 1. We're introduced to our enemy in Genesis chapter 3 who is, uh, who's in the form of a serpent and he got Adam and Eve to, to question the legitimacy of the word of God and to question whether or not God was good. Those were the two things that the serpent got, was able to get Adam and Eve to question the legitimacy of God's word and whether or not he was good. And so what they did not know is that the serpent in front of them was Satan. And here are some things about Satan. Ready? He hates good and he loves evil. He hates good and he loves evil and he, and he has command over thousands of demons who operate under him. This is real. It's not the stuff of myths and legends. Demons are real. Angels are real. There is the kingdom of God, and then there is the kingdom of darkness. All of that is real. That Satan despises, what Adam and Eve didn't realize, is that Satan despises God and his creation with a deep hatred. That he is the originator of evil, suffering, and sin that he was not created evil. In fact, his original name uh, from, the, from when he was created is Lucifer. He was the highest in, the, in rank of, of all the angels, and he chose to rebel against God. We learn from Revelation, which complements the book of Daniel. We learn from Revelation that, the, that, that Satan deceived one-third of all the angels, and that's one of the reasons why he's known as the father of lies, and that he was guilty of sinning from the beginning, we're told in the Bible. Satan also is known by other names, such as Lucifer, the adversary, the beast, the deceiver, the devil, the dragon, the enemy, the evil one. There are other names on top of that, but those are the ones that I just want you to be aware of. And, and 1 Peter chapter 5 says this of Satan, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's who he is. That's who deceived Adam and Eve. When, uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve were there. Eve was the one who was deceived. Adam legitimately disobeyed God. The effort of, uh, or, or the temptation for, of Adam to disobey God was that he would be like God. In essence, would dethrone God. 
That's something to, to, to understand. Because Babylon, the city of Babylon, the idea of Babylon is always associated with mankind's effort to dethrone God. And so, so in fact, I mean, some of you have heard me say this, but if you read Genesis chapter 3, Eve, while she was being deceived, Adam was right, ne- right next to her waiting to see what would happen. Think about that. Definitely did not earn points in being husband of the year award, right? Like, God told him, if you eat this fruit, you will die. So what did he do? Watched his wife eat the fruit to see what would happen. And she didn't die. And so he's like, well, okay, it must be good to eat then. Um, <laughs> she passed the death test, and so, and so they were deceived and, and uh, fell into to Satan's trap. Here's the other thing that we know about Satan. He's not permitted to do anything that he wants. Here's what you need to know. This is the encouraging thing. Satan is a created being. He's not someone who could be everywhere at the same time. So if you think the devil is picking on you, that he's, got, that, that he's, that he's messing up your life, you, he, it's probably not the devil. It's either, it could be demonic, it could be some, like one of his you know, demons that's under his command, or it could just be you. Most of the cases, it's just you. <laughs> You're the one messing up your life. Not, not the devil, not his demons. He has better things to do with his time than pick on you. Right? You know what he's involved with? Big names and nations. We're gonna, we'll, we'll see that in, in Daniel. The other thing that we learn about Satan is that he will be destroyed one day. That we're promised as early as Genesis chapter 3 that he will have his head crushed by Jesus. That uh, that that crushing includes a day when Jesus will have Satan bound and imprisoned for 1,000 years. You can read about that in Revelation 20. And then he will ultimately throw Satan into a place called the lake of fire where we are promised that he will be tormented day and night forever and ever and will never interfere with human beings ever again. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that also helps us understand who the devil is and it also gives him you know, another title. And I'm, Let's bring that up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read this together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, who, what, what used to be true of you? You followed, I follow, the prince of the power of the air. Most, uh, anybody who does not believe in Jesus, whether they know it or not, is guilty of following the, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, what is that? Well, the prince of the power of the air is Satan, is Lucifer, but it is also the spirit of the age. Uh, and and uh, it is the spirit of what I will refer to later as the spirit of Babylon. And as the prince of the power of the air, Satan is on a leash. I said this last, I think I said it in this service last week. Maybe it was in the first service, but Satan is on a leash. It's a long leash but he's on a leash. And the one who holds that leash is the God of all creation. Like, he can't do whatever he wants to do. He's given reign 
to, to do certain things, to inter interfere with the affairs of man, to, to manipulate nations, but all of, that is, all of that is being moved by a God who's able to take evil and turn it around for good. And it's all leading to God's redemptive purposes for, for us, for you, for me, for the world. But he's on a leash, a long leash, and one day he will be destroyed. There is a spiritual realm where the forces of good are pitted against the forces of evil. That you need to hear that. Like, everything that's happening around us is not just physical. Especially, uh, we Americans tend to put, you know, label everything with a, with a, a science, with a medical term or with science, but there is a legitimate spiritual realm that's all around us, and there is this, this war that's happening in, in our midst between the forces of good, the kingdom of God, and the forces of evil, the kingdom of Satan. And we see that in Daniel chapter 1. And, and, and Satan's, question, Satan's uh, strategy has not really changed. He is in the, his strategy is to get you to question whether or not God really said, did God really say that, and is God really good? That's what he got Adam and Eve to believe in the garden. Well, he got them to doubt the word of God, and he got them to question whether or not God was good. Why would a good God withhold this fruit from this tree from you? The reality was is that God had given every tree, except for that one tree, to Adam and Eve to enjoy, except for the one that would kill them. And, uh, and the same is happening today. Did God really say... Did God really say that, uh, that, 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 when, when you, that when you were born, that you, that you bear, from the moment of conception actually, you bear the image of the living God? Did, did he really say that? Because in our world, our world doesn't believe that. The spirit of Babylon, the spirit of the age would have you to believe that you're just a lump of cells from the moment of conception with no value. And, uh, but here we learn from the Bible that no, that's not true. We bear the image of God from the point of conception. Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Did God really say, and on and on it goes. We question the goodness of God. If I was born this way, and I feel certain, but I feel differently about my, about my anatomy, it, then God can't be really good. He makes mistakes. Did he really say Satan has been in the business of getting, getting people to question that thing, and his goal is always to destroy, always to malign, and always to rob you of joy. Always. If he can make it, you know, get you to buy into the illusion that whatever it is that he's trying to tempt you with will give you a sense of joy, that joy is always short-lived and temporary. And so... My first point really is this, and this is what we learned from Daniel 1, is that Babylon is the spirit of the age. It's not just an empire, it's the spirit of the age. In Genesis chapter 11, a group of people came together and they built the tower. And in that tower, there was idol worship, there's all kinds of stuff going on in that tower. Their goal was not to get closer to God, their goal was to make a name for themselves. And so diversify their... He, we're told that he confused their languages. He made he diversified their language. That tower is called the Tower of 
Babel. We get the name Babylon from it. In Revelation chapter 17, Babylon is referred to as the great prostitute. It's spiritual. It's not just physical. It's spiritual. In Revelation 17, verse 2, it says that the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with that great prostitute and with the fine or with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. The spirit of Babylon was long at play and long at work long before the empire of Babylon came onto the scene. Babylon is likened to a woman who is later contrasted with the bride of Christ in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 17, says John, the, the apostle John says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. Like, how do you, how do you describe something you've never seen before and, and articulate that in, in, with, with, with language? You, like, John is straining to find words to describe what he saw in this, in this vision. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abomination. name of mystery, Babylon, of her sexual immorality, and on her forehead were written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and, the, and, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. That's the spirit of Babylon. And the spirit of Babylon is at work and at play in America, but not just in America, in our world. The reason why the world, even in our nation now, looks at at Christians who believe that the Bible is true as bigoted and hateful and whatever else is because the spirit of Babylon is at work. It's at work in our schools. It's at work in our universities. It's at work in our government. It's at work everywhere. And in, in contrast to Babylon, the bride of Christ is described as being clothed in bright, pure, white, fine linen that all of heaven one day will sing a song of celebration about her. You know who the bride of Christ is? You and me. That's us. Revelation 19 contrasts the bride of Christ with Babylon. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's us. Listen, the spirit of Babylon is Satan's attempt to counterfeit what only God could provide through a personal relationship with himself. That's what sin is. Sin is always a cheap counterfeit of the things that God has called good. God said sex was good in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. The spirit of Babylon will say, sex is good, but you can experience it any way you want to experience it. And so Satan will always attempt to counterfeit that that which God has declared good in an effort to rob people of the joy that God intended for them. And so... In Daniel chapter 1, is Satan's attempt, Babylon was Satan's attempt 
to counterfeit the kingdom of God. So Babylon represents the spirit of the age that the world loves, while the church represents the people of God who love him above all things. That's the difference. And so Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem and he besieged it. And, and, and what did he do? He, we're told exactly what he did in the first seven verses. He, he took the sacred vessels out of the temple. You've got to just file that in your brain because we'll come back to that in Daniel chapter 5. He took the vessels that were used for the worship of Yahweh, he stole them and, and brought them into his pagan city Babylon. But that's not all that he took. What else did he take? He took those who were of nobility and those who were in the line of the king, the royal family. Well, who's the royal family in Judah? The line of Judah. Who comes through the line of Judah after Daniel? Jesus. What was Satan trying to do through the spirit of Babylon? Prevent Jesus from ever being born. And at so, and, and the same time, to counterfeit the kind of worship that can only be experienced by worshiping Yahweh by offering a cheap substitute in Babylon. And so, he, so these, these people of nobility and, the, and these people who are of royalty, what, what were the qualifications for them to be taken into exile? Well, one, they had the obvious, they had to be of the royal family or of nobility. Two, they had to be young. Three, they had to be without blemish. Interesting. They had to be without blemish. Uh, four, they had to be smart, and five, they had to be capable of standing in the king's presence. In other words, the king took what belonged to God to make a name for himself while the spirit of Babylon was working through him to create a counterfeit of the kingdom of God. So, so like, when I read Daniel chapter 1, I mean, you don't think this is applicable to what's happening in our day and age today? It's applicable to what's happening in our day and age today. Which leads me to the second point, and this is so important. Moral and spiritual assimilation is the goal of Babylon. Like, this is real, brothers and sisters. There is a, there is a demonic, like I was asked, or I don't know if I was asked, maybe I was just reflecting about just the craziness of 2020 and 2021 so far. And the word that came up, actually I was telling my mom this, the word that keeps coming up in my mind is demonic. It's demonic. Does that mean that God is not sovereign and moving in the midst of this and steering all of this in a direction that's ultimately going to lead to his glory and our good? Yeah, he's doing that. But there is a, there is a war, and it's spiritual, and what, what, the, what the spirit of the age wants for you and what it wants for me is moral and spiritual assimilation into its worldview. And some in the church are buying into it. Right? Yeah. Well, scientists said that, scientists say that, well, if you feel a certain way, even though your anatomy doesn't jive with the way you feel, then therefore you, despite your anatomy, you must be the gender that you feel. That's demonic. Uh, abortion is demonic. Just like everything else that seeks to destroy and demean the image of God that, that we represent as human beings is demonic. 
So the first, there were four phases, four, four stages in the assimilation process of, of molding and shaping Daniel and his three friends into the image of Babylon, and by doing that, you know, changing the image that they bore as image bearers of the living God. That, that was the effort. The first phase in assimilating the four men was to attempt to remove from them their sexual identity and any hope of marriage and children by castrating them. That happened. Like it doesn't say specifically that Daniel and his three friends were castrated, but they were brought in as eunuchs into the kingdom's court. That's, that's, that was the whole purpose for them being taken. So what, what, what was the purpose of castrating them? So there would be, well, if you're the line of the king, there would be no more line of king, line of the kings. And then two, um, you wouldn't be having children and raising them up to believe in Yahweh. And there would be no threat to you having any type of relationship with the king's wives or concubines. The spirit of Babylon uses God's gift. This is so important. The spirit of Babylon uses the gift that God has given, via, you know, in sex, like sex is a gift of God that God has given. The spirit of Babylon uses that to pervert it and to distort it. Like I had a professor who said, you know, sin makes no sense. There's no rationale to sin. And you think about it. If God is real, how many of you believe God is real? Just, yeah, right? Sunday school question. It's either Jesus or God, right? Like, yes, he, he's real. If God, how many of you believe that God created everything? That's good, right? Yeah, he's the author of life. And in creating everything that's good and, and right, he created the experience of sex, and he said, it's good. Like he said, Adam and Eve, you're naked and unashamed. Have many babies. Uh, it's a whole other question to answer why they didn't have many babies right away. But you would think uh, it was just the two of them, um, and, and, they, and they didn't. But sex is a gift meant to be experienced in the context of marriage. And that's a good thing. But, but the spirit of Babylon perverts it. So they thought, well... Let's castrate these guys. That was the first phase. Second phase uh, in assimilating Daniel and his three friends into the Babylonian culture was that they were given names linked with Babylonian gods. So I actually will show this to you. Um, go to the next slide. So Daniel, his name means God is my judge. He was given the name Belshazzar, which means Bel, um, short for Marduk, which is the chief god of the Babylonians, that he protects he was the chief god of Babylon and worshipped as, the, this is ironic, as the god of order and destiny. Like it, it, is a, it is an arrogant th thing to think that I am in charge of my own destiny. Um, it is an arrogant thing to think that I am the captain of my own ship. You are not the captain of your own ship. God is. And, uh, and so they renamed them. That's what they renamed them. And Hananiah... His name means Yahweh is gracious, so they gave him the name Shadrach, which means command of Uku, which is the moon god, the patron god of art, the, of the art of writing and vegetation. And in Mishael, his name means who is what God is. And he was renamed the name Meshach, which means who is like Uku, the, the moon god. And Azariah, whose name means Yahweh is a helper, was renamed Abednego, which means servant of the shining one, which is another god in, in, uh, in Babylon. 
Why, why, did, they, why did the king of Babylon do that? Why, why did he? Because he wanted to do everything in his ability to, to, to reshape their identity as people who worshipped Yahweh. That is the desire of the spirit of Babylon. That is the motive of the spirit of Babylon. That's what Satan wants. The third phase in assimilating Daniel and his friends into the Babylonian culture was through a mandatory Babylonian diet, which was not kosher. <laughs> Maybe it looked like this. Pork, I don't know what this is, but you know somebody took time to make it. And... Um, Maybe shrimp cocktail, <laughs> clams. Uh, I am so thankful I'm a Gentile, by the way. Like, I, I like Italian hoagies and pizza with pepperoni on it. I, I praise God for Jesus that I'm freed from, from having to stick to a kosher diet. But the point here, the point in this third level of assimilation was not, was not, was not diet. It was to... It, it was to uh, distort or pervert or to, to, to draw them away from a dependence upon God and a dependence upon the king. That was one. The second thing is that for, Hebrew, for the Hebrew people who love God, worship was more than just showing up in a building and singing some songs and listening to some guy talk about the Bible. It was a way of life. It was a culture of life. They were called to be holy, just like every one of us in this room are called to be holy like God is holy. And their diet was a constant reminder of the kind of people they were called to be. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their diet. And then the fourth level of assimilation was, was to uh, have Daniel and his friends enter into a, enter into a three-year intense education program where they, will learn, where they would learn the language, the, the language of the, of the nation, and they would be introduced to Babylon's, Babylon's myths and legends. Do you know what that was an effort to do? That was an effort to replace the God of Yahweh and the scriptures. That's what, that was, that was, that's what the whole effort was, was shaped to do. And, um, and did it work? No. But the only thing that Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah stood against, this is so important to note, it's, it's so easy to miss the details. What was the only thing that they stood against in all this? Did, did they protest after they were castrated? No, it was too late, right? Um, did, they, did, they, did they argue about the education system? No. Did, did, they, did they argue about the name change? No. What did, they argue, what did they stand against? The food. Why? Because to, to go against the, the, the Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy and the Old Testament concerning their dietary laws was more than just food. It was worship of Yahweh. And, the, and so they said, they said we, we can't do that. But how did they say that they couldn't do, do that? Did they hold up a sign? We're going to eat vegetables and you can't change our minds like did, did they do any of that no the, Daniel and his friends in a charitable gracious way went to um, the, the, the guy who answered to the eunuch and said can you just give us 10 days give us 10 days to, to eat our diet and if we look better awesome if we don't then you can, you can, you can make us eat the king's food how were they able to do that Here's the other lesson in Daniel. 
They were able to do that because they had a rock-solid dependence upon the God of all creation who, was, who, who not only parted seas, but was capable of changing some dude's heart. And, so, and that's exactly what God did. He changed the heart of, the, uh, of, of this person who oversaw their diet. Why didn't they protest against the other things? Well, for starters, the whole, with, with castration, it didn't change the fact that they bore the image of the living God. There were still men who bore the image of the living God. What sucked was that they would never be able to have children. But that didn't change the fact that they represented Yahweh. Why didn't they protest against, against uh, or stand against their name change? Although Daniel is mo- you know, mostly referred to as Daniel throughout the book of Daniel. Why, why, didn't they, why, why didn't they protest against that? Because it didn't matter what the Babylonians thought about them. It didn't matter what kind of names they gave them. What mattered was that they were known by the God of all creation. And what about the education system? Why didn't they stand against that? Because, because their noses, metaphorically, were in the book. Like they were, medita- they were constantly medita- meditating upon the word of the Lord. But Jeremiah discovered that later in Daniel. Like Daniel's references the prophet Jeremiah in, in his writings. They were, they, their hearts were set on the word of God. I said this maybe last service or a little bit ago. I said, you know, when it comes to your faith, you picture, your, picture your life, picture your faith as a ship, okay, like a boat. And, and, and the ballast, what does the ballast do? The ballast is what keeps the boat from capsizing, right? That's why when you get in a canoe, it's so easy to tip the canoe. You ever get in a canoe before, you, right? You ever tip the canoe? Um, yeah. Uh, so with a ship, the deeper the ballast goes, the unlikely it will be to be capsized. And, and the ballast is your faith, is your understanding of, of who God is, the Word of God, you know, your, your ability to go before God in prayer. The ballast of Daniel and his three friends was deep. It was large. And so no educational system could have changed that. That's why discipleship of our children and our youth is so important. It's not the church's responsibility to, 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 to make your children uh, understand God better. You know whose responsibility it is? The parents. Not the, not the in the home. At the school, not the youth pastor, the parents. Discipleship begins in the home. And it begins as soon as they come out of the womb. And so it was the food that Daniel and his friends stood against. Because, in essence, by changing their food, the Babylonian Empire was trying to change their, you know, who it was they depended upon and, and their worship. Which leads to my third point, and this is brief, that God's people are called into Babylon, but not of Babylon. God's people are called into Babylon, but not of Babylon. You, we are called to be missionaries in our world. We're called into the world, but that doesn't mean we have to be of the world to behave like the rest of the world. That's not how you win people to Jesus. What, what the world needs to see is, one, that, that there's something that binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's called love. And then, two, that, the, that, that our understanding of who God is shapes, the way that, shapes everything about us and that there's a quality of life in, in, in us as a result of, 
of who we worship. God's people are called into Babylon, but not of Babylon. And so, uh, and, and the food, please do not read into this a diet plan that God is prescribing for his people. The book, did not, that's not what's going on here. In fact, it, I mean, like, there's a book that a certain pastor, you know, published called Daniel's, you know, Diet or whatever. That's not the point of this. The point isn't to go home and start eating vegetables. Don't do that. I mean, like, you can if you want, but I feel for you. I'm thankful for meat and, and shrimp cocktail. Well, not shrimp cocktail, but, and, you know, Italian hoagies and pepperoni pizza. No, the point is, it, it was really an issue between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. That was being pitted against each other. And the issue was the, the, the wisdom and power of God over the wisdom and strength of Babylon. That was the issue. And in fact, in fact, the NIV gets, gets, this, uh, gets this verse wrong. It says in verse 15, it was, um, in the NIV it says that they looked healthier and better nourished. That's not what the Hebrew says. The, actual, the Hebrew word is bari, which literally means fat. So when, after the 10-day meal plan diet that Daniel went on, they were fatter because of it. That was the point. Like, it wasn't, Daniel's diet wasn't about six-pack uh, six and abs and you know, big muscles. It was health and, 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 and how God was able to use even their diet to accomplish um, you, you know, good things. And so, you know, when you think about it, like, you shrimp cocktail and drink wine every day, what are you going to look like in a month? Not thin, right? Um, and so, so the issue is not diet. It is worship. That's the issue here. It's worship. And as a result of entering into this three-year education program, they came out uh, stronger in their faith as a result. Why? Not because of what they were reading in Babylonian literature, but because of their dependence upon God. That their faith, was, their faith in God was solid enough that when the, the onslaught of different ideas and philosophies came their way, they were able to work through that. And so we, we learned that the result was that the that God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And when the king saw the result, when Nebuchadnezzar saw the result, and those over Daniel and his friends saw the result of, of the, these 10 days and this education and everything else that you know, went on through the assimilation process, he promoted them. He didn't promote them because of the gods that they worshipped or didn't worship. He promoted them because God was using them. God called them into Babylon not to be of Babylon. That's why they were promoted. Because even though the goal of Babylon is demonic and anti-Christian, God has called his people to be salt, and he calls his people to be salt in a rotten world and light in the darkest of places. And right now, man, I mean, America seems pretty dark to me. Um, our world is pretty dark. And what the world needs are the people of God to be salt and to be light where it's needed most. And here, here's what I want to leave you with. The spirit of Babylon wants to assimilate you into its worldview. 
It wants you to look morally and spiritually like the world. And the reason why is because Satan wants to rob you of your joy, not give you more of it. That's so important to note and to understand. You are a human being born in the image of the living God. And although you were born into sin, God has provided a way for you to be reconciled to him. And most of you in this room, if not all of you, have been reconciled to God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you're here and that has not happened, if that's not true of you, if you're watching the live stream and that's not true, uh, it doesn't matter what the spirit of Babylon wants to do with you. God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him, to know him, and to know what it is to be more human than, ever, than you ever thought of before. Like God's intention for you is not for you to be less human, it's to experience being fully human. That's what the resurrection is about. Like his intention for you is to know the joy that he made you to experience, but that joy can only be experienced through worship of him and in him. And because you are a human being who bears the image of God, the spirit of Babylon wants you to question the word of God and the goodness of God and wants to rob you of all that God wants for you. The push to devalue a human life as, a, um, as, as <laughs> the body just being a, the body and nothing more, just a collection of cells and organisms and nothing more is demonic. From the moment of conception, you bear the image of the living God. The spirit of Babylon wants you to question all that. The spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit of only what God can give you and offers you through the true King of kings and Lord of lords, who is who? Jesus Christ. Like the book of Daniel is all about Jesus. <laughs> Chapter 2, uh, right, at the right, right off the bat, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and, and, and the point of the dream is Jesus is coming to clean house one day, and he's going to set up his kingdom and make all that is wrong with this world right. Um, but the spirit of Babylon is real. There's a demonic realm that's real. God is real. And what God wants for you is to know him and to, know, and, and to be a part of his kingdom. And that's the point, I think, of, of Daniel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, thank you for most of us, if not all of us in this room, those watching the live stream, you called us out of the spirit of Babylon. You called us into your kingdom, into what, what, what your word says, your marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are your people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Once we were uh, categorized as children of the devil who followed the prince of the air, and now we are children of the God of all creation, heirs of all that belongs to King Jesus, that we are the church clothed in white, pure linen. We are the bride of the, of the second member of the Trinity. We are the bride of Christ. And in the end, in the end, Babylon will be destroyed. Lucifer will be thrown into the lake of fire. And, and, and you will be exalted. And we will be celebrated as the bride of Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.